VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everybody, if you're on the East Coast, and good morning, everybody, if you're on the West Coast. I'm Patricia Raskin with Positive Living. This is the program that really shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities, your problems into solutions. I have on experts and best-selling authors who show you how to stay healthy, happy, get the support you need, and make your dreams come true. And we're right here on voiceamerica.com. I've been on the air with voiceamerica.com about six years. Altogether in media, about 25, and really believe you can make your dreams come true and started doing this work in the early 80s when people said nobody wants to hear the good stuff and everybody wants to hear it now in 2008. So here we are. And today's no exception about positive living and making your life work. I have a really great topic today. We're talking about finding love again, whether you've been widowed or separated or divorced or uh, you haven't really found the right person. This is really what the book is about. And my guest today is Ken Shapiro, and he's the author of the new book, Finding It Again, The Truth About Love After 40. A native New Yorker but longtime Floridian, Ken Shapiro is a father, a lawyer, a writer, an activist, and a contributor to humanitarian causes. He's also a single man who, since his divorce in 1998, has found some time to date. He's a person of substance, humor, and heart whose background and experience could qualify him to write an array of different subjects, but he decided that he wanted to write about finding love again. Welcome, Ken. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for that intro. Okay. So you're still at this. <laughs> any, uh, are there any, oh, let's see, from your experience, because you're writing this from your perspective, which is in your book. Are there, any, are there any definite do's and don'ts, Ken? Like definitely do and definitely don't. Yes. Yes. Okay. What are they? There are. But you know, I I I qualify that by saying, you know, what do I know? I, I heard your intro talk about the, the experts you have on the show, and I'm an expert only because of my own personal experience. But you know, I, I say in the book, I, I got no PhD, and and I, I've I've not participated in any clinical trials. All I've got is a bucket full of experience, but it's a very, very large bucket. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, having become single again at the age of 41 after 17 years of marriage, I realized when I got out into the single world that I had no idea what it meant to be a single grown-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a high school girlfriend and a college girlfriend, and I ended up marrying uh, the woman I married. Uh, I, I started dating her when I was in law school. So I had never been out there as a single person, and so I was learning something at the age of 41 uh, that that sounded like I knew what I was doing, but I certainly didn't. And in the process, I learned a lot about the process of meeting people and about about love as well. You know, from the mundane, there are a lot of do's and, and don'ts I can give you on the mundane side. Uh, uh, one of the things I discovered the hard way is um, wait until the morning after a date before making the next date. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'd go out on on a date and have a a wonderful time, and things would just be clicking so wonderfully that the two of us would make the second date. Uh, 
mm-hmm. without having had the benefit of going home and sleeping on it and waking up the next morning and seeing how you really felt. And sometimes the making of that second date was after you've had a nice dinner or a couple of drinks, and you know you might not have made it if you'd waited until the morning. And I've had a couple of of uh, troublesome second dates because of that. So that's that's one of those do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another don't, this may surprise uh, some people, but from my empirical experience, which is dates with more than 100, probably 150 different women over the course of 10 years, uh, Starbucks is a lousy place for a first date. <laughs> why is that? Why is that? Here, here's why. And there really is uh, 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 some, some reasoning behind that, that silly statement, but... When you go out on a first date, whether you've been fixed up with somebody or it's a computer date or what have you, you've typically had a phone conversation. You may even have seen some photos, but this is now sort of the face-to-face to see if there's chemistry. And if there is anything going on, you want the ability to be close to the person you're on a date with. And what happens at Starbucks, if you, you know, everybody's been to a Starbucks, the seating arrangements are either these cushy, uh, living room type chairs where when you sit in the chair you're immediately leaning back and your date is leaning back so your faces are six feet apart from each other or else you're at some some bleached wood or wrought iron table uh, and chairs where there's a table in between you and believe it or not the distance serves as an obstacle on a good first date when you're meeting somebody that you've spoken with and there's some chemistry you want to be able during the course of the evening to have a hand touch a hand, to, to brush your hand against uh, a knee as you're making emphasis of a point. You want to be able to make contact. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, the Starbucks arrangements don't allow for that. You want to, if you can, meet somewhere at a restaurant where there's a bar where you can meet at a bar and sit at the bar, even if you're going to have dinner, just to sit at the bar before dinner, where you've just got two stools and the two of you are sitting right next to each other and the ability to touch your date's hand to touch your date's shoulder, to, mm-hmm. to make a point and make contact is very important. So there's another don't. Don't go to Starbucks. You know, I, I have to share this with you because here's what I thought you were going to say when you said, this may surprise your listeners, but here's a don't. And I'm going to tell you why I'm, first I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this before I tell you what it is. I interviewed an author all about uh, maybe a year or two ago. Never forget this. Brenda De La Casa and her book is Cinderella Was a Liar. She interviewed 200 men across the country of all ages, and she asked them what was the greatest mistake that women made. And here was her answer, which I think was surprising in the year 2008. They said the greatest mistake women make is they sleep with the man too soon. Your comments, Ken. Um. Well, you know, I don't. I, I wouldn't say that that's the greatest mistake because that that sort of makes it a, a general principle. Um, yes, I have gone out with women who have uh, jumped into bed too quickly. Uh, but you know, there's a counter argument to that as well. I have gone out with women for whom, in their forties, the the prospect of getting into to bed with a man was something that was was so much meaning. I had one woman say to me, we'd, been, we'd gone out on seven or eight dates, and we'd already gotten somewhat intimate and somewhat physical, but she said to me that she was unprepared to 
actually consummate, you know, have, have physical intercourse uh, unless she was sure that this was a permanent thing. And my response was to say, if, if you mean exclusive, I understand that. I'm not seeing anybody else anyway. And she said, no, no, I mean permanent. And, you know, that's, that's a mistake as well, because I don't know, especially when you've been through a marriage and a divorce, I don't know too many people who are willing to say that early on that it's going to be permanent. So there has to be a balance in that. I don't think that's the, I wouldn't say that that was the biggest mistake, that, that women go to bed uh, too early. Uh, that wouldn't be the one that I would answer. Hmm. Okay. So I'll give you what you're result. saying on that one is it really depends upon the situation and your mindset, how you're thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's completely situational. Uh, there have been times where I've been shocked that a woman w- was was interested in getting into bed as quickly as she was. But, you know, there have been other times, and I've heard this from other people as well, men and women. I've had women say to me, you know, I just needed the physical closeness, and I needed it then. And, you know, everybody understood that's what it was all about. And, mm-hmm. you know, hey, people are grown-ups. If that's what they want to do, who am I to, to judge? I think it depends on the connection and, and the people. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's a physical connection there and it happens early, it can turn into something beautiful. And, and if it happens too early and you don't yet know that it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, something that has legs, then it, it can be uh, too soon. But I think that, that I wouldn't make that general statement. I just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'll give you another one, another Another don't, you know, with the Internet and Internet dating as prevalent as it is and as easy as it is, you'll frequently have uh, a, a woman uh, say, call me. Uh, here's my cell number. Call me tomorrow. And sometimes they'll tell you when they want you to call. And I've had women tell me to call them between the hours of 2 and 3 or 3 and 4 because it's when they're in their minivans doing carpooling and mm-hmm. they figure they've got the time. But the fact is, there is no worse time on earth. I don't know any adult who's ever had a good, meaningful conversation at 2 in the afternoon in a minivan while yeah, you're carpooling yeah, to and yeah. from school. So choose your time is what you're saying. Absolutely. We've got about a couple minutes to break, so let me ask you this, Ken. What was the real reason for you to write this book? Was it in terms of yourself and in terms of others? Uh, I was pushed to write, start writing a book as soon as I started dating, because I had all of these ridiculously funny dating stories, and I resisted. I didn't want to write a book that was just funny dating stories, although there's plenty of that in the book. What, what impelled me to write the book, ultimately, after about eight years of dating, was I realized that the person I was eight years out was a very different person, and that what I was gathering from every one of my dates and relationships eight years out was very different. And so I went through an evolution. A, an accumulation of wisdom, a process of maturation, and it was that process and that experience and what I've cut, taken out of it, apart from all the silly mundane stuff we've been discussing, that I thought was the broader message that I had to convey. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to take a break. And before we do that, after all this, after all the 150 dates and after writing the book and after all the reflection, are you at a point now where you feel, well, you know, I'm just going to keep going the way I am, or do you still have that that light, you know, that there's somebody out there for you? Hmm. Well, that is that is the the end of the book question, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. 
And, and I'll tell you, Patricia, what I have learned, the secret I've learned among many secrets, is uh, uh, that there's no reason to give up. But there may be someone out there for me. There may be more than one someone out there mm-hmm. for me. And it's that, that possibility, of course, that keeps me going, but it's also the realization that we grow up conditioned to believe that unless a love lasts forever, yes. it's a failure. I am. And what I've come to discover is that that's a lie. A love, whether it lasts for a week or for a lifetime, is still a love. And if you can learn to appreciate that, you can start to, to um, uh, lessen the pressure on yourself to find it again. I'll be happy to go into that more if you want after the break. That's a wonderful comment. Beautifully stated, and we will go into that afterwards. My guest today is Ken Shapiro. He's the author of Finding It Again, The Truth of Love After 40. Folks, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america hey dad what i can't get the ketchup bottle open Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. 
We have a great show for you today. It's really going to make you think a little bit out of the box with our standard thinking about love and relationships and dating and finding the one. So listen up, folks. We have an, an inside track here to someone who's really been through it, and we're going to hear his opinion. My guest today is Ken Shapiro, who's author of Finding It Again, The Truth About Love After 40. And if you're listening today, uh, you can certainly give us a call, and you can call us at 866-472-5788. And that is if you're listening today on March 10th at between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and between 11 and noon Pacific. Welcome back, Ken. All right, folks, if, uh, if you want to argue, or <laughs> not argue, but question, the Ken about, you know, finding the right one, or if you have questions about dating and finding the right one, he certainly had a lot of experience. Ken, one of the things you said at the end that I thought was um, powerful was about how we may not find the right one, and we've been programmed, you know, Cinderella, the Cinderella complex. We've been programmed to find the prince and the princess. And what you're saying here is you can have some wonderful experiences and you may not find the right one, and that may, that may be just that's fine. And so the question is, how do we reconcile that and deal with that and live with that when we live in a world that does not tell us that? Well... You know, we have to we have to start shedding some of the the myths and and the fallacies. You know, we get to a certain age where we realize that there really is no tooth fairy, uh, and it, when we become grown ups, it's time we start to to put love into a real life perspective instead of the Hollywood perspective. You know, don't misunderstand me. I I enjoy uh, crave uh, uh, the the feeling of being in love. I'm sure as much as the next person. Uh, but we have to develop a true understanding of what it is and what it takes to, to make it last. When I went on my first dating service, one of the questions they ask you in essay form is, what have you learned from your past relationships? Now, at the time, I'm just out of a marriage, you know? So, I'm again, my relationship is my marriage, and I answered with five words that I know you'll appreciate, Patricia, because I looked at your website a little bit. And the five words that I answered with are, what I've learned from past relationships are water the plants every day. Mm-hmm. And when I divorced, I really thought that was the secret. I thought that it was, if only we continued to nurture the relationship, we could have made it last forever. Now, that's still crucial. You have to nurture a relationship. But one of the things that I've come to discover, not just in my own life, and I address this in the book, after my divorce became final and I became a single person, something strange happened. Friends of mine, friends who were, I believed, happily married, friends I'd envied for years because of what I perceived to be their happy marriages, started telling me things, private things, painful things, things in secret. And I came to discover that the people I believed had found the way to keep it alive Many of them, not all, but many of them were miserable. For many of them, love had died. And it made me come to a realization, eventually, which is that love, that's the the connection that binds two people together in a romantic relationship, has a lifespan. And sometimes the love outlasts the lover. Sometimes the love truly does last 
as long as the people live. But frankly, those are rare, and we know it's rare. And all we have to do is look around us at our friends and our family members and our loved ones, and we can see that it's rare to find that couple that really has it last an entire lifetime. For the rest of us, it ends, and sometimes it ends through no fault of anybody. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it just ends. And if that's true, if loves have lifespans that are independent of whatever amount of work we want to put into it, then perhaps we can get ourselves to back away from the notion that we've failed when a love goes through its natural cycle. All right, Ken, what about, what about another component here? And that is the need to have somebody there. I mean, there on a long-term basis in terms of the physical touch, having somebody next to you when you sleep, um, having somebody who's consistently with you when you want to travel or do things. And if you look at the theory that, well, that may not be so, then are we looking at different people at different times? Are we looking at the s- multiple people at the same time? And what about that consistency? Yes, That's yes, the question. Yes, and yes. I describe a specific person in my book in the last chapter who is married to his third wife, has been for 15 years now. For 14 of those 15 years, he's been, and she, have been miserable. They hate each other, but they stay together because they'd rather not be alone and because they've both been through failed marriages before and they've just decided they're all the same, so we're going to stay together because we like the company. And you know what? I'm passing no judgment on them. I'm making no value judgment. There are people who choose to stay in loveless relationships for other reasons. Hey, that's okay. I choose not to. And I'll tell you something, Patricia, what I've discovered, both men and women, although my information is more from women than from men because I don't date men, but there's, there's a process that we seem to go through, we middle-aged people who come out of long-term marriages. And when we've been out of a marriage for three, four, five years or so, initially we want that. We want what we're used to. We want that person in our lives, that living under one roof arrangement. But when you've been single long enough, what starts to happen is you start to value your selfhood in a way that you never did when you were married. And I've had relationships with women where they've ended the relationship after two months or three months or four months because they felt, you know, I just need my space. And that's not an excuse. I've done the same thing. We're, we're just not ready to, to give up of ourselves again because for some of us, the bargain isn't worth it. We'd rather have a relationship filled with love and have that last as long as it does. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we're okay, okay being I'm going to. I'm going to, we're going to look at a supposition you made, and we're going to, to look at that. That is, you talked about having the relationship and being together and being in it with a supposition that if you're together, eventually you get tired of each other. What about being in a relationship where you can keep it alive, where you can keep the love alive, where you can maintain your independence, where you can be your own person? Well, that, What about that? For some people, that would be paradise. And, and let, me, let me also make it clear. My parents, until the day my father passed away, they were married 48 years, and they were in love with each other from the day they met 
until the day my father passed away. And my father's been gone now for eight years, and my mother would not consider trying to date anybody else because the love still lives. So I do know that that does exist, Mm -hmm. but it's rare. And yes, of course, if I could find some... I think the point I'm trying to make is that we have to stop asking ourselves at the beginning, will this last forever? Instead, we have to enjoy what we have in the beginning. But you, you t- t- wait a minute, you touched upon something, though, that I think needs exploration, and that is that from what I'm hearing from you, most of us think that when we partner up or get married or have this lifelong thing, that we're going to lose a piece of ourselves. And I think that's part of what happens. But if there's a way that we don't have to do that, that we can really be whole and independent people and cherish that relationship just like we cherish our friends or our children or other people in our lives who aren't the love object, then maybe we have a chance. What do you think? Uh, I agree. I agree with that completely. That's when you have a chance. Now, having said that, there are some people for whom happiness requires uh, the giving up of a self. You know, the woman who writes in her profile, I'm looking for someone to complete me, really needs that other person in her life to feel complete. You know, my view is, go get complete first, you know, and then let's meet. I'd like to meet a complete person. And I think what happens is that there's a lot of us out here. In fact, if you read the studies that that indicate more than 50% of households in America are single-person households, it's not that more than 50% of America is single and miserable. I would suggest that there's just as many happy singles as unhappy singles, and it's because we don't mind being by ourselves if we have to. But yes, if we can then find someone who enhances our lives and doesn't require that we surrender ourselves in the process, then who knows? The sky's the limit. But once again, it's the who knows part that I think we have to be okay with. Mm-hmm. You know, the notion of saying today, I promise I'm going to love you forever, is just silly. We can't promise forever. Forever has to happen. Yes. All right, on that note, we're going to take a break. Fascinating stuff. My guest is Ken Shapiro, author of Finding It Again, The Truth About Love After 40. If you're listening on Monday, March 10th, you can give us a call at 866-472-5788 right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And you can also listen to the archive show that's on voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics 
for a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women. Men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where women and wine angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Voiceamerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. You know, folks, I do this work because I really believe that you can make your dreams come true. I really believe you can turn your challenges into opportunities, your problems into solutions, and that you can create the life you want. You have to know the kind of life you want. You have to have your vision clear. But I believe this. I've been interviewing people for 25 years that believe this and have made it happen in their lives. And one of my missions is to make the world a better place to interviewing people that can share this kind of information. So that's what I do, and it's certainly very fulfilling for me, and hopefully it's helping all of you. So if you're in a position where you're looking for love again, or you're single, and you really, you know, you're exploring, or you're frustrated, this is a great show for you to listen to. It's quite thought-provoking. And you can give us a call at 866-472-5788 if you're listening Monday, March 10th, between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon Pacific. My guest today is Ken Shapiro, and his book is Finding It Again, The Truth About Love After 40. And Ken is uh, really a person who has written this book out of his own experience and really wants to share his information with everyone. Welcome back, Ken. Thank you. Okay. And you are a father, a lawyer, and a writer, and single, so you've had all the experience for about 10 years. For for 10 years now, that's right. Yeah. um, You know, we've been talking about being a whole person and how important that is in being able to give your best to someone else 
as well as to yourself. So I want to explore that, and I also want to explore the whole notion of having the date, hmm. and maybe we lose that special feeling when you go out on a date when we're in a relationship and we have lost some motivation to uh, to be there, to dress up for our partner, to to be excited and have that kind of, you know, twinkle in our eye. We've kind of lost that. So let, let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, you know, as far as the, the date part and the excitement part goes, uh, yes, uh, frequently, more often than not, uh, the the sizzle wears off uh, after a certain amount of time. Uh, the sizzle of chemistry that you have initially. And I remember when I first started uh, in this game, this dating game, I was in therapy at the time. I had uh, just come out of a marriage. Uh, my ex, shortly after our divorce, was, was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and we had that to deal with. And I was a father of two uh, beautiful children, and I had my hands full. And uh, my shrink at the time, as, as we were talking about relationships, as we're in the therapeutic process for several years, he, he said, you know, the chemistry thing is nature's little, nature's little trick. It's nature's little way of uh, sparking two people to see if, uh, if something can go further. Uh, and that's true. And in most of the cases, you know, you're, the spark will last a little while, and then you're right, Patricia, as you get into normal life, it, it, it fades, and frequently with it, the relationship fades. But not always. And I think when you're with uh, a person whose who's second and third layer are compatible to your second and third layer, you know, as we tend to peel away the defenses that we have, and, and I've determined from my own dating experience that there's, there's the, the defense that exists on the first three dates. Then you get to another layer of defense that comes off at about two months, then another layer at about six months. And then you can go from six months to two years until that, that, that last layer comes off. But, you know, there are those people as the layers come off who you discover more that you like about. And obviously when that happens, then you're, you know, you're, you're on your way to something good. And, in fact, that did happen to me at one point during my, my past ten years. Uh, I met a woman, and uh, we were together for two years in a relationship that was filled with with love and caring and, and comfort. But, you know, in your 40s, uh, you have different, uh, different concerns and different factors. In the book, I talk about how when you're, young, when you're in your 20s and you fall in love, you have nothing. You're, you're like pilgrims on the shore of a brand-new world, and there's nothing but... but you know, your ability to deal with the forces of nature that stand in your way. But when you're in your 40s, you're like tourists standing on a street corner in a foreign city, you know, with things honking at you and people yelling at you in foreign language. And your, your task when you're in your 40s is to try to, to uh, overcome all of that noise. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I, I, I had two teenage children at the time. She had two children who were appreciably younger. Uh, one was four and one was eight, and the personalities were very, very different. Mm-hmm. And although we had two beautiful years together, at uh, the end of those two years, she announced that she wanted to be married in about another year. And I considered it. I considered it very seriously because I loved this woman, and she, and, and she loved me. It was, uh, the relationship between the two of us was, was, had no problems whatsoever. My son at the time was a... 
uh, a junior in high school. It was the summer between junior and senior year. So she wanted to be married the following summer, which was the year that he would be leaving for college, which means that when he would come home from college, he'd be coming home to a different household because we'd have to get a new house. Neither house was big enough for the kids. How could I do that to my son? My daughter at the time was in ninth grade, was looking forward to her brother going away to college because she could have daddy in the house to herself. And if I got married the following summer, just as her brother was leaving for school, I'd be putting her into a household with two other children that she wasn't uh, especially fond of. How could I do that to her? You know, how could I do all of that to me? How could I, how could I do that to, to my children, take them from contentment to unhappiness? And we discussed it. She saw it differently. She felt that with enough time, my children would come to see the benefit of living in a combined household, and she had her point of view, and I respected it. But I knew my children, and I knew myself, and I knew that the timing just wasn't right. And I suggested we stay together exactly as we were. Uh, for her, that was a rejection, and it was a rejection that she could not surmount. And so notwithstanding that we loved each other, the relationship came to an end. And, and I talk about this in the book, and I end it with, with, after I describe how beautiful a love can be, I end it with the line that's a cliche, but it's true. And especially at this age, it's true. Sometimes love is not enough. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, because people are listening to this, in retrospect, did you make the right decision? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. I'm, I'm, I'm the only parent to two amazing children. And when you are a, a parent, when you become a parent, you have, at least my view is, I, I mean to impose this on no one, but to me, I undertook the responsibility to put their best interests first, especially at that age, at an age when they're counting on you to raise and support them. And uh, un- unquestionably, I did the right thing. Do I mourn that relationship? Of course. Absolutely. But if I had to do it over again, I would do it exactly the same way. But, see, that's my point, though, is that at middle age, it's not simply enough to say, I love you, you love me. Nothing else matters. In the beginning of a relationship, we all believe that. You know, we've got, we're filled with the infatuation and the blindness that infatuation creates. But the fact is, other things do matter at this stage in our lives. We're not kids anymore just out of school with nothing, you know, nothing uh, encumbering us. And those okay, Ken, what is your advice to somebody who is listening to this and they're just starting, they're just starting to date? What would you say to them? Well, just fresh out of a relationship? You mean fresh out of a long-term relationship? Yeah, maybe, maybe two years, maybe, but they really, they're, no matter how long they've been out, they really haven't been in the dating world. Now they're entering the dating world. I would say date a lot. I had a friend, a female friend, she's still a friend, one of my, my very, very dear friends, who uh, divorced about three years ago and started dating uh, shortly after the divorce and would constantly constantly described to me her frustrations, because it is a very frustrating process. But I would say to her something that she has now, three years later, started saying to friends of hers who are where she was, and that is that she had a lot of becoming to do. When you're in a long-term marriage, especially one that occurs when you're in your 20s, just out of school, and you become divorced, you are a fetus when it comes to understanding what it's like to be yourself. 
and you've got a lot of becoming to do. And dating helps in that process because you can learn a lot from what you like in someone else and what you don't like in someone else. And you can learn a lot about yourself in seeing what you like and what you don't like. Frequently, what you don't like in the person sitting across the table is actually something you don't like in yourself, but it takes a little bit of time to, yeah. to get there to know that, you know. Yeah. But date a lot. <laughs> okay, well, on that note about having good food, we'll take a break. My guest is... Ken Shapiro, who's the author of Finding It Again, The Truth About Love After 40. Quite insightful, quite thought-provoking, quite provocative, and quite real. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. You can log on to my website, which is raskinresources.com. You can learn about the guests I'm having. I have three different radio programs. You can look at that. You can write to me, Patricia, at raskinresources.com. And, Ken, do you have a website you'd like people to write to or contact you? Oh, sure. They can go to findingitagain.com. Okay, findingitagain.com. All right, findingitagain.com, finding love after 40. All right, folks, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and some to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. News Talk Radio, voiceamerican.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. 
still time to call in at 866-472-5788. If you're listening on Monday, March 10th, which would be Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Pacific. My guest today is Ken Shapiro. His book is Finding It Again, The Truth of About Love After 40. And Ken Shapiro is a person who writes about his own experiences. He's a native New Yorker but a longtime Floridian. He's a father, lawyer, and writer, and has been single since 1998 and has learned some things about dating in the process. Welcome back, Ken. All right, let's talk about, um, you know, that whole notion of really accepting that you may not get it all from one person. Well, you may only get one piece or two or three pieces from a person. Yeah. Um, think about that for a second and, and think about how, how nice that could be. You know, why, why must you uh, uh, have everything in one person to accept it that you can have some kind of relationship with that person? You know, you, it, it's perfectly okay to have someone in your life who, even if you're not even romantically involved, but somebody of the opposite sex who becomes a friend. Yes. And that can happen through the process of meeting and dating. It's happened with me. Mm-hmm. And it's enriched my life. Yes. Or somebody may say to you, look, you know, I'm not the one for you, but if you ever want to go out or do things, I- I'm here for you. I mean, now that's a really wonderful thing to have. Yeah, and... you know that- it is great. I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me not too long ago, actually. Uh, this goes back maybe five, six months ago. And, and I have to tell you, it was one of the most refreshing things that had happened to me on, on a date in a long time. And you'll be surprised, I think, when you hear what happened. But it's a, a woman that I, I uh, met on an online dating service, and we uh, emailed back and forth, and we had a delightful telephone conversation, which is absolutely no indication that you're going to have a good time on a date, by the way. You know, you go through those stages of looking at the profile and emailing and having a great phone call, and you can have a great conversation that will make you think you have met not just a mate for this lifetime but for eternity. And then instantly, as soon as you meet, you realize uh, we're not for each other. But that's okay. I met this woman for dinner, and we had a lovely time. And we probably spent three hours over sushi and sake and outdoors. I live in South Florida. It was up in Palm Beach, and we just had a a very, very lovely time. And I told her I would call her the next day and uh, see if we can get together again, and she said, that'd be great. And uh, sure enough, the next day I did. I called her, and I got her voicemail, her cell phone, and I left a message, and within five minutes, she called me back. So that's good. You know, that's good that she's calling me right back. And we spent about two minutes of just chit-chatting, and I said, so... Anyway, you want to get together again? And she said, no, not really. And I, I kind of started to, to chuckle because in all of the dating that I've done, there have been women who have not returned the call. There have been women who have, have uh, you know, uh, uh, decided that uh, they didn't want to give me their number. There have been any number of reasons or, or ways in which women have let me know that they didn't want to see me again. But... For, this was the first woman in 10 years who came right out and said, no, I don't think so. She said, I just don't really think that there's any romantic possibility between us, and so I'd rather not uh, spend any more time, but thank you, I had a lovely time. And I said to her, I said, you know, I have to thank you. Thank you so much, 
Because what this woman did that so many had not done is she took away the need for me to wonder if she didn't return the call, hmm, did she get the message, did she not get the message, you know, and she just put it out there and was open and honest. And I hung up the phone. Never in my life before had I felt so great about getting rejected. So I hung up the phone and I said, that was, that was just wonderful. And I saluted her for that. I really did. You know, she had enough friends. She really didn't need anybody else in her life. She, did, she was looking solely for a romantic connection. I wasn't it. And that was okay. Well, what you're talking about now again is being in touch with yourself and what you need. And here's another subject we haven't totally, we haven't covered yet. We've got a few minutes left. That is really sharing your feelings. That's being able to say to somebody, look, um, you're a great person. I really like you, but there's no chemistry here. Or, look, I've been out with you a couple of times and there's been some chemistry, but I can't have chemistry unless I have a relationship. It's too cold for me. Or, you know, you're just really fun and I really laugh with you, but I'm looking for something different. That's tough stuff, but don't you think that needs to be said, Ken? Oh, absolutely. And and you know what? It, it gets less tough uh, the more you're out there. And I'm not saying that dating hardens you. That's not where I'm coming from. It's just that you, you realize that honesty truly is the best policy, that stringing somebody along or giving somebody some kind of, of story is, uh, is, is just not the way to go. The best way to do it is to be open and honest and upfront. You know, the, the, the first couple of times I had to do that, I remembered thinking about George Costanza on Seinfeld, and I remembered thinking about the episode in which he was intending to say to the woman, it's not you, it's me. But before he could break up with her, she used the same line on him. She said, it's not you, it's me. And he said, no, 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 wait a minute, that's my line. And I remembered that episode because the fact is that in almost all the situations in which I've said to a woman, listen, I think we're really at a point where, where we should stop, that wasn't just a line, and I didn't use it, of course, but that's actually the truth. In each of the situations, it wasn't the woman. It was me. What I was looking for at a particular time, this particular person didn't bring. And it was me. And having nothing to do with the quality or the worth or the value of the other individual. Because, you know, we can tend to think that if you reject someone, there must be something wrong with that person. And that's just not true. Ken, do you think that you... Do you think that chemistry can develop, or do you think you've just got to have it in the beginning? Well, there's a chapter in my book called Chemistry, and it's very important that you read that chapter for uh, an answer to the question. It's a chapter in which I tried to manufacture some chemistry. Um, and, and I will say that over the short term, no. Over the short term, you can't manufacture chemistry. You really have to hope that there's chemistry, and if there's chemistry, you have to try to build on it. However, over the very long term, yes, I've seen situations where two people who were friends for years, all of it, you know, found it evolving into a deep and lasting love. But, you know, that requires uh, patience and a lot of time, and of course, there's no guarantee. But for the short term, you know, uh, if, you're, if you've dated someone, and I've done this many times where I've dated someone and I've said, listen, on paper this person is perfect, and I just have to stick with it, even though there's no chemistry, and I'd stick with it for 
two weeks and a month and a month and a half and two months. And ultimately, you know, when the, when the pot isn't boiling, you just can't make tea. Mm. No. Yeah. And no matter how much how much you stick the bag in that lukewarm water, you're just not going to get the real deep, rich tea. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. Ooh. And and one thing you pointed out in this interview today is circumstances and situation has a lot to do with it. I mean, you met the perfect person at the wrong timing in your life for the for the marriage part or for the long term part. So that the timing and situation also has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. And we, we want to reject that notion because, again, we have this idealistic notion of what love should be, but we can't. You're just looking for hurt and pain if you reject that. The fact is that our life circumstance does impact our loves when we get to this stage in our lives. Mm-hmm. We have to recognize that. By the way, I don't regret those two years for a moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, that love was a beautiful love. Yes. But once again, you know, its lifespan was those two years, and you move on, you take from it. Right. All right, we have, we're really out of time. Closing thoughts in, the, in 30 seconds. What do you, what's your message, Ken? What do you want to leave our listeners with today? Um, don't be afraid to love, and don't be afraid to fail at love. There is no such thing as a failed love. None. If you have, if you found the love, whether it lasts a week or a lifetime, a love, any love is success. Thank you so much. Really, what a great interview. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank, yeah, thank you for sharing your deep feelings and, um, and your thoughts, which are certainly thought-provoking for all of us and for putting them in a book. Uh, stay on the line, please. Folks, you've been listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Remember, this show is the show that shows you how to solve your issues and how to make your dreams come true and how to be clear about your dreams. Uh, you can log on to raskinresources.com and find me and write to me at patricia at raskinresources.com. And for today's guest, you can log on to findingitagain.com. Is that right, Ken? Findingitagain.com? Findingitagain.com, yes. Okay. All right, folks. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week. listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to raskinresources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on voiceamerica.com.